0: so today we're speaking to dr dawson church who's an award-winning science writer with three best selling books to his credit Uh, we're going to probably talk only about one of them today but there are three of the books uh that he's written are the genie in your genes which was a book that demonstrated how emotions drive gene expression There's a bliss brain, which is most recent, which demonstrates that peak mental state rapidly remodel the brain for happiness. And what we're going to talk about mostly today is mind to matter. How the brain creates much of what we think of as objective reality. Now, Dawson's got the best laugh I've ever heard. So hopefully we're going to get some laughs from him today. Dawson, welcome to Cares to Creation Confessions. Uh, Look, I've
1: spent a lot of time laughing already. I'm sure we'll laugh some more.
0: Fantastic. So I'm going to hand it over to you really what, you know, the whole creation process. Um, You've written three books. They didn't just appear out of nowhere. How did these books just turn up?
1: Well, the first big bestseller I had was The Genie in Your Jeans. I've written several books before that, but that book I really was impassioned about making a success because it's so vital to understand that our thoughts, our consciousness, our beliefs, these things that we think of as being totally intangible are actually having a a completely um, determinative effect on our gene expression. They are literally turning genes on and off. One study showed that um, certain mental states are shifting over 100 genes. Laughter is is, is changing the expression of 32 genes. So I wanted to really make that clear to people in that book and I, i had this insight and i'd also had um ideas i'd heard at different conferences so psychology conferences and biology conferences and uh acupuncture and acupressure oriental medicine conferences and epigenetic conferences and no one was putting all these ideas together and i thought you know there's a book in this the genie in your genes and if i don't write that book it's out there in the uh in the energy field, somebody else is going to write it and I'll, I'll be really pissed off if one day I see The Genie No Genes by my friend Bruce Lipton. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to write the book. I just worked with Bruce on a book called The Biology of Belief. And so I then wanted to take Bruce's ideas to the next stage and showing how these intangibles affect gene expression. And so I had this incredible insight and I just focused on, and wrote the book and also really focused on promoting the book in the next few years. And I thought after Gene You Your know, Genes, that's my big magnum opus that I had this, I'm so gifted by the universe. I felt so gifted that I'd had this one incredible insight that emotion, spirituality is driving gene expression. And I thought, wow, you know, if I've done, that's my lifetime accomplishment. And then I was, I was talking to my friend Reed Tracy, who is the publisher of Hay House, about a radio series I was doing. And I'd become aware of this, this whole idea in the New Age movement and in the law of attraction, the secret that your thoughts create your reality. And as a researcher, I'd done a lot of research, especially on traumatic stress. I'd worked with a lot of veterans with traumatic stress. Various uh, volunteer groups I was associated with had done. Work in Rwanda with with victims of the genocide. There, we've done work in the Congo with female victims of sexual violence. We've done a lot of work with Vietnam veterans, and now with the new generations generation of Iraq and Afghanistan veterans. So that was my my field. I began hearing the, I, the, these reports from um, various various people of these these rapid outcomes, rapid changes people were were experiencing with energy psychology, energy therapies. And then this whole idea that is talked about in the law of attraction that, you know, our thoughts are able to create our reality. I was I was a skeptic about that. So I did a series of radio shows and I wanted to see how much truth there was in terms of physics and chemistry, mathematics and, and hard science behind the idea that our thoughts create our reality. So I finished this like 10 years worth of PTSD research with veterans. And I began to turn my attention to this other phenomenon of mind to matter. And I did these interviews with these distinguished scientists and I began to see all of these ways in which mind actually does create matter, and brain states create matter. So I talked to my friend Reed Tracy one day, mentioned it to him offhandedly, and he said, oh, there's a book in there and mind to matter. Let's go, go ahead and see what you've got. So I began to put all those ideas together. And I expected when I began to look at all the links in the chain between thought and a thing that scientifically we'd find there were a few links we could prove but there'd be a lot of gaps in the chain and to my astonishment as i worked on the book and looked at the research and there are over 400 scientific studies that underpin my book mind to matter i found that we could show and prove every single link in the chain between our thoughts and our reality so i had this Suddenly I had this other book which became a bestseller. It sold over 100,000 copies. It's been selling now in German and French and Spanish and all kinds of other languages. It's become a real phenomenon and people are practicing these methods that I have in the book and then seeing how their world started to change around them when they're in these, their their coherent mental states. And I found in the book that the difference between the person who has an aspiration and an an intention and the one who actually manifests their intention is mental and brain coherence. And we literally hook people up to EEGs and I've got images like this showing these states in mind to matter. If you look at like my friend, Jack Canfield, who wrote The Success Principles, brilliant manifester. Uh, He's the star of the movie The Secret. And what Jack intends is just gonna happen. He's just that kind of a guy. And then other people I've known have these wonderful intentions, high visions, Nothing happens. What's the difference? And when we hook them up to an EEG, the difference is brain coherence. So their brain waves, and we, get, we see we see these images in, in the book from EEG studies. And you'll see the brain waves of a Jack Canfield, they are in sync. They're marching in step. All their brain waves are in sync together. If you look at the brainwaves of a person who's not a good manifester maybe they have higher visions but they aren't accomplishing what they want to their brainwaves are all disordered and they may be really good at some other parts of their life they may be superb at you know athletics or something but then when they sit down to actually work on say their relationship or their spiritual journey or their creativity their brainwaves are disordered and those disordered brain those in those non-coherent brainwaves are ineffective and so these great manifestors who are doing things then are able to have these great results in the outside world and so i wrote the second book mind to matter and uh, i I was like lightning struck in the same place a second time first eating your genes now mind to matter and then After that, I found I was beginning to experience these extraordinary mental states myself. I was teaching peak states, peak performance flow to others, and I began to hit levels of happiness that were just like unimaginable to me. And I began to look at the science behind that. And I found that it's chemistry. I found that there are neurochemicals like anandamide and serotonin and dopamine and beta-endorphin that produce these extraordinary mental states and that you can actually create these neurochemicals through certain styles of meditation and that became bliss brain so it's lightning struck for the third time <laughs> and i also just love living in that state and sharing it so that's kind of the trajectory of those three books
0: and so where are next i mean it's just like you know like let's let's go for a fourth strike what's next for you
1: I'm now becoming really interested in a couple of things. One is accelerating these states because the research that is covered in this brain mostly is focused on adepts, meditation adepts. So these are like Tibetan monks who spent 10,000 hours in meditation. Some of them have spent over 50,000 hours in meditation. And Franciscan nuns, women who've entered a convent often at an early age and have spent maybe 10, 20, 30, sometimes 60 years in deep contemplation in these altered states. And by the way, there are two paths into flow. One is athletic performance or uh, some kind of business or personal performance. Like you give a speech in front of a large audience and you feel absolutely exhilarated afterwards, and you're in flow during the speech. So that's one path into flow. Or maybe you're doing like I do, mountain biking and scuba diving. And like I remember going scuba diving recently and just becoming lost in the experience of it. That's one path into flow. The other path into flow is meditation. And these adepts are able to get to these flow states, extraordinary states really, really quickly after their 10,000 hours of practice. But I'm intrigued by getting there fast. How do we get people there quickly? So in, in chapter one of Bliss Brain, I have one subtitle, one subhead called From 50 Years to 50 Seconds, because it's taken me 50 years of personal growth of experimentation, of scientific studies, of exploration to find these states And then I teach people in live retreats and virtual retreats in brief workshops, long workshops. And in one of our recent live workshops, actually the last live workshop before the pandemic, we were were hooking people up to EEGs before and after a seven day retreat. And using these new methods, I mean, they're really new neuroscience. We've now mapped the brains of these monks and nuns and these adepts, but now that we have a map a brain map of, of what that brain state is, we can now guide people to that state in just a few minutes. And so they're, they're sitting there. They've never meditated before very often or never meditated successfully. And within sometimes on the first day of the retreat, within 20 minutes, they have the brain waves of a Zen master who spent 40 years doing Zen. And we're seeing this on the EEG. So it's an objective measure of brain function so that we're teaching them to do this. In over the course of only seven days, and one woman everybody had astonishing shifts in brain functions in those seven days. But the most astonishing was one woman who she closed her eyes on the seventh day, hooked up to an EEG, and she was in the state of bliss brain, the awakened consciousness of oneness with the universe. She was there in 47 seconds. So it's taken me 50 years to figure all this out. I'd ordered to take. You, Debs, or anyone listening today, fifty years to figure all the stuff out. I have to go into a monastery, or, or to go and you know, be a renunciate and take a vow of poverty, chastity, and obedience. I don't want to have to go that route. I want to take people in seven days to that fifty-second experience where you're in just in in, in surrendered bliss, one with the universe in that short space of time. So that's one thing. Bring people there quickly and reliably. Science is all about replication. Spirituality is all about going and doing these practices and sticking with them and and persistence. And that's a really, really valuable thing to do. We need the self-discipline. We need what Abraham Maslow called self-transcendence. Beyond self-actualization on his pyramid in the last two years of his life, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, he said, no one was wrong about the pyramid. S- self-actualization is not the top of the p- pyramid, it's self-transcendence. And we see that in these monks and nuns. They, they transcend the, their sense of self and their brain regions that construct the self shut down and they self-transcend. But we want people to be able to get there without 10,000 hours. And now we can do that really quickly. And then the other big thing I'm super focused on is what happens to society when large numbers of people are doing this. And so there's a section in, in this frame called the 1%. And you know we, we've all heard about the 1% in, in wealth and how the billionaires are getting richer, poor people are getting poorer, the wealth disparities are increasing in developed countries. And so uh, I took that idea of the 1%. And what I found looking back over history, I wanted to ask, wanted to find out of the population of a given region, <clears throat> what percentage, <clears throat> what percentage really cares about self-transcendence, about spiritual growth, about self-improvement, about a better state than they currently are in? And the number is very small. It's about 1%. If you go back to the Domesday book, William the Conqueror, in england and look at the number of people engaged in monastic or overtly spiritual pursuits it was one percent of the population go back to germany which was keeping pretty good records at the time china around 1300 1200 india these were very uh developed civilizations at that time and they kept Records and the number turns out to be one percent. Go to um, most countries and, like Thailand, and see what percentage of people become Buddhist monks or nuns. One percent, and this number one percent just pops out all throughout history. Look at the number percentage of meditators in in Europe and uh, the U.S. in 1980. One percent. So this one percent number has been very consistent throughout history, and then these are the people who really. been able to enter these ecstatic states of consciousness, you know, like Saint Catherine of Siena talking about marrying God and you know, Rumi and Hafiz, these ecstatic states. Or, so they're, they're hitting flow, just like that athlete who is doing that peak performance. They're hitting flow. Well, that meditator or well, that, that monk now at an MRI, they're hitting these flow states. And so those people are a really small minority. We learn from them. We want to understand their experience. And so how, what is this doing for our society to have that 1% of people pursuing these peak states? And then what's happening now today? And what's happening now is in 1980, 1990, it began to rise. And the number of people doing that globally, as far as we can tell from various surveys, by 2005 was 4% it quadrupled between 1980 and 2005, quadrupled the number of people who are paying attention to those peak states. In the last few years, it's hit 15% of humankind is now engaged in some kind of spiritual but non-religious pursuit to do with a better frame of mind, increased happiness, increased flow. And so people, far more people are hitting these, these states and it's producing a shift in material well-being or correlates with a shift in material well-being in the human species. And we're worried about the recession. We're worried about economic upheaval. All of that's real. But if you look at the wealth of the average global citizen in 1980 and compare it with the wealth of the average global citizen today, people on average are three times as wealthy as they were in 1980. And that includes all the crashes and all the recessions, all the financial upheaval. Look at lifespan in the last century, human lifespan has doubled. It was really consistent for a long time and suddenly it's doubled. Look at, so I'm now looking at all of the research and there are again, thousands of studies here of human thriving. Things like female literacy, female literacy. Like if you want to reduce your carbon footprint, educating girls, teaching girls to read is the eighth most important thing we can do to reduce our carbon footprint. There are many other things we can do, but just teaching girls to read. If girls read, they go on to become entrepreneurs, they go on to have fewer children, they go on to have more time to take care of those children. There are all kinds of reduced carbon uh offsets as a result of teaching girls to read so female literacy global literacy is growing human rights since world war ii i mean there are been horrible things has been you know there's been the 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 korean war and there's been this there's been the civil war in syria i mean uh, our 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 minds are captured by the problems we have right now and the short-term tragedies But if you look at at human rights since World War II, steadily they've been advancing. So there are literally thousands of measures of human well-being. And along with these shifts in consciousness, 1% in 1980, 4% in 2005, 15% today, there's been this shift in human well-being, material well-being as well. And we're now starting to see our ability to solve problems increase. Like we're all aware of global warming and climate change. It's very real, it's threatening low-lying areas. There are catastrophic climate events happening every year as a result of it. But what people don't realize is there are all kinds of solutions we're, uh, we're, we're having, we're putting in place right now. So I'm focusing, in my new research and writing on those solutions. And there are, again, there are huge numbers of that. I'll just mention two right now. One is carbon sequestration, that we literally, this isn't a a dream, an idea, a theory, we can suck that carbon out of the air. There are plants in several parts of the world right now, giant plants that are sucking in air and removing the carbon, and producing carbon bricks, which are used for construction, for making furniture, all kinds of uses for these carbon bricks that they produce. That's not a a future science fiction fantasy. These are plants in operation right now, and they're running up economically at about $200 a ton. So we now know the cost of carbon sequestration, we're doing it. Um, One other project that's been endorsed by many governments, including the UN, is the idea of planting one trillion trees and these are these are native trees that thrive where they're planted so we're reversing we're reversing deforestation costa rica has tripled its amount of rainforest in the last uh in the last 30 years and it's a it's a model for other countries and by planting native species we can increase the number of trees and there are about two trillion trees on earth if we plant another trillion as those trees mature they will suck up so much carbon that it will return the Earth's atmosphere to pre-industrial revolution levels of carbon in the atmosphere. Again, do you hear about this? Is this, is this front line page news? I mean, there's all this fabulous stuff going on. So the last chapter of this brain is a little curtain raiser of looking at a thousand of these studies and picking, I just picked 12. <laughs> just 12. <laughs> They're all very positive. And then the, the other, thing is that we're becoming much wiser and much smarter. As we meditate, that translates into the real world. In a long-term study by McKinsey Corporation, it's a big consulting firm, global consulting firm, they did a 10-year study of peak performers, people who are not schlubbies, they are people at the peak of their profession. And they found that these people pursue flow states. They get into flow states, they want flow, and they know that they'll write Well, in flow, they know that they'll speak well in flow, they know that they'll have great ideas in flow because, in flow, your brain is producing a lot of gamma, and gamma that's the brain wave that's when your brain is firing at 30 times per second and higher. And so, I call it the Einstein wave. Einstein said that you to figure out the answer to a complex problem you have to move to a higher level of consciousness Napoleon Hill in chapter 15 and think and grow rich he says you cannot solve the problems that are generated by your current level of consciousness at that level of consciousness you have to ascend to a higher level of consciousness and so there are all these people throughout history who meditate who seek to become one with the universe and channel the universal wisdom and joy and love. That's why we're so happy. People in the state are incredibly happy. And so gamma is the wave that is the indication to an EEG neuroscientist of both happiness and creativity. There's lots of gamma. These Tibetan monks, when they close their eyes and meditate, their level of gamma goes up 25 fold, not 25% or 250%, that is 25 times the amount of gamma. Their happiness, they're they're in bliss. That's why the book is called Bliss Brain. You are feeling really, really happy. And then when you come back from the mountaintop, when you return to your daily life, like I have a nonprofit that I I manage that gets uh, advanced therapies to veterans with PTSD. It's called the Veteran Stress Project. We've treated over 20,000 veterans in the last 10 years, that's a really practical thing to do. So you are not just losing yourself in this ecstatic state and then coming back to your body and to your ordinary life as a, uh, as a smiling vegetable. You're doing, you're doing kick-ass stuff in the world. You're treating veterans. You're helping people who are suffering, suffer less. So what the McKinsey study found was that these people who are in these states and then come back to their bodies and 10-year study of peak performers, <clears throat> again, they're, they're having more gamma. They're in that gamma creativity, happiness. They're in flow. But then they start to do their regular work. They are five times as productive. In their own assessment of themselves five times as productive as they normally would be that's echoed by the results of the study by the defense it's a, it's an arm of the u.s government called the defense advanced research projects agency called DARPA and in the 1970s if you watch the movie men who stare at ghosts that was experimenting with distant viewing and all kinds of phenomena those were DARPA projects DARPA is really interested in consciousness and the effect of consciousness on the outside world and they find that when you attain those elevated states of non-local awareness that Einstein and Napoleon Hill and many other people talk about, and you then come back to earth and start doing stuff, DARPA was testing people's ability to solve really complicated problems, not easy problems, problems like global warming, problems like overpopulation, problems like income disparity, all the social ills we have right now, weaponized AI. I have a lot of sort of doom and gloom stuff in the, in the back of bliss brain and, and how we can solve it. And so DARPA study found when you come out of that flow state and you're back in your executive chair, your ability to solve problems goes up by 490% to solve complicated, difficult conundrums, increases by 490%, almost a five-fold increase in problem-solving ability, echoing the McKinsey study of high performers. So Now we had 1% of people doing that in 1100 and 1980. We had 4% in 2005, we have about 15% today. And that now look at that curve, look where that curve is going. And these people are becoming five times as productive, have a five-fold ability to solve complex problems. It's like global warming, income disparity. We're gonna start to tackle some of the tough shit in the next 10, 20 years, and we're gonna do it. I mean, we're, we're the human race is gonna do it, look at the trajectory of what we've already solved over the course of the last decade, and three decades, and we are, we are in for an unprecedented period of human thriving. So that's what my next few books are about, how to get there quickly, without 10,000 hours, how to do it in 50 seconds. <laughs> 50 seconds or less, how to be in that happy state, stay in that happy state, and then be productive. And what happens to the world when you have all these millions of people walking around in this flow state, highly productive, highly uh, pr- adaptive, problem-solving, and incredibly happy?
0: I, I'm like, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, I can see the future. The future is fantastic. But now I'm going to ask you. So we know your research has shown. Your book tells us. We know that when we get into flow state, when we meditate, and we do we we get into flow state and then come back to the real world and do things we are five times more productive we are five times more able to solve complicated problems we are happier we are blissful i loved your surrendered bliss i just love that idea okay so why tell me tell me maybe i'm just talking for me why does meditating feel like it's just another thing on my to-do list
1: how (laughs) do you get
0: over that
1: for me, it was the same way, Debs. I I, I learned meditate when I was 15 years old and I I mean the spiritual teacher said, close your eyes and still your cl- there are just two, two things you have to do. One is close your eyes, two is still your mind. Well, number one's fairly easy. We can all close our eyes, You do it every night to go to sleep. Still your mind? Are you crazy? I mean, the human mind is not meant to be still. Think about your ancestors. Our ancestors evolving 100,000 years ago. They're here. They're, there they are in the middle of the jungle. Things are there. There are predators and threats, and the Neanderthals are still around, ready to, to grab their resources. And so our minds did not evolve to be still. Our minds uh, evolved to be looking for what's wrong out there all the time. And so when you close your eyes, one thing, there are about 11 million bits of information traveling from your eyes through your optic nerve to your occipital cortex in the back of your brain. And when you close your eyes, you cut off that flow of information and you then start to think. And those thoughts aren't, aren't positive. In this brain, I summarized a study by Harvard, two Harvard psychologists, surveyed 250,000 people, and they find that we're doing negative thinking about 47% of the time, especially when we're rela- relaxing. When we're relaxing and we have nothing on our minds, our bodies our brains defaults called the default mode network and it tends to ruminate about the problems of the past and how those might become issues in our future because that's the way our ancestors survived you had to think about the tiger that almost ate you yesterday and obsessed about every detail of that experience and the tiger that might eat you tomorrow and 100 years ago it was that default mode network as the default mode because the brain re- uses every spare bit of processing ability, not devoted to doing a task, it defaults that that those resources to that network that thinks about the bad stuff in the past, the bad stuff that might happen in the future, and studies it and regurgitates it and reviews it endlessly, and that's obsessive negative thinking. We all do it, and it leads to terrible health consequences. One of the mind matter of studies shows that uh, that negative thinking leads directly. It is the strongest correlatory factor to the buildup of beta amyloid plaques in your brain. And beta amyloid plaques are Alzheimer's disease. And you don't want to have beta amyloid plaques in your brain. And this research study showed brilliant study done about a year ago that the single biggest factor wasn't lifestyle or diet or exercise or social connections, it was negative thinking. And the it scaled the more negative thinking people did the more beta amyloid plaques they have in their brain. So thinking is able to shape our bodies, our brains, our futures, and see what it'd be doing positive thinking, but you can't easily do it because our ancestors didn't survive that way. There was no evolutionary benefit to smelling the roses. And there was an extremely large evolutionary benefit to noticing the tiger in the grass. So our brains work this way, close your eyes and try and meditate. And all you do is default to that negative thinking. So what I did was in around 2008, I designed a meditation called eco meditation, because I can still my own mind. And I said, okay, what do we do to counteract that mind wandering? And what I said is, let's just do physiological things that a master meditator would do. So I looked at the research into must meditators. I looked at the research into mechanical ways of relaxing us. Like, for example, one one very simple one, one of the seven steps of Mika meditation is to relax your tongue on the floor of your mouth. Because when we're tense, when we're stressed, our tongues go rigid and we hold our tongues rigid most of the day. When you relax, it's your tongue on the floor of your mouth. It sends a signal through the vagus nerve to every single organ system in your body. It says, there's no tiger in the room relax. So that's one of the seven steps of eco meditation. And I designed this little, little thing because I can't still my own mind. I've never been able to do that. And so 50 years of meditation, I've been a complete failure at stilling, stilling my own mind, but I can relax my tongue with the fore of my mouth, and I can breathe six seconds in, six seconds out, which puts you in heart coherence so I designed this little routine put it on the web people began to use it suddenly it exploded in popularity we began to study it do research studies then do EEG then MRI studies of eco meditation and if you just do these seven simple things like one woman called Tony Tomlinson, she was one of the early adopters and she uh, we've got thousands of people like Tony emailing us in their stories and Tony wrote, she said, I'm, I'm, I'm so burned out on parenting on life. I have high cortisol 99% of the time. I failed at every meditation practice I've ever tried. And when I sat down, Dawson, to do your seven steps of eco-meditation, my mental talk was, Tony, you failed at every other practice, you'll fail at this too. And I just began to do these seven mechanical physiological steps. And when I hit step three, my heart was filled with bliss and tears of joy began to roll down my cheeks and I was in that place I'd longed to be for so long and then she wrote to end with I'm going to do this every day and that's what people are saying because it's so pleasurable to have that serotonin. We boost our serotonin by doing this. And our dopamine, two very pleasurable neurochemicals. We boost boost our anandamide. And anandamide has the same chemical structure, docks with the same receptor sites as THC, the active ingredient in marijuana. In fact, serotonin has the same chemical structure as magic mushrooms, psilocybin. So psilocybin docks with certain receptor sites, serotonin does as well, But psilocybin comes from a magic mushroom, serotonin comes from a magic meditation, (laughs) and you do the meditation, and you start to feel super high. And so we're we're just cranking out all these people like Tony now, who do it one or two times, and the bliss states they attain, as all those pleasurable neurochemicals are unlocked in their brains, feel so good. That they then are able to meditate without ever once stealing their mind so that's that's why i say it's necessary to do effective meditation for most people what they're doing meditation is ineffective and in this brain i parse out using neuroscience brain studies which things are effective and which things are ineffective. And the, the vast majority of what people do and call and think of as meditation is ineffective. It does not move the needle. It does not put you into a flow state. It does not produce wiring the brain. But if you do the right stuff, if you do the right mixture of mindfulness and self-hypnosis and acupressure and, and, um, and biofeedback, neurofeedback, if you do all of those things right correctly, your brain starts to rewire itself within a few days. In one study we did, we showed that four weeks of this produced anatomical changes in the brain. Anatomy began to change with the suffering part of the brain, the default mode network, quietening, and the happiness part of the brain, and the connection part of the brain, and the integration part of the brain, that part of the brain lit up, in people in this randomized controlled trial, so you have to do an effective meditation for this to work.
0: So it's not just it's it's not just about the practice; it's about the right practice, the perfect practice, rather than the, 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 what I do is to force myself to sit still with my eyes scrunched. <laughs> like,
1: stop thinking! I'm sure that works great. Brilliant! I feel stop fantastic eating. afterwards yeah so no, it's, I, it's, I am going to,
0: to do your seven steps i am going to do eco meditation i've decided
1: good yeah you, you'll, you'll feel the, the difference right away it's a very somatic experience as you when you hit serotonin you'll feel that when you hit dopamine you'll feel that rush of, of um of, of motivation when you hit norepinephrine you're going to feel alertness nitric oxide you're going to be wide awake i mean so there are all kinds of um, neurochemicals that are happening in there and, and you i mean you just Feel it in your body. You feel it hitting one after the other. It's like, whoa. Well, in fact, people are so ecstatic after doing this, they're reaching such ecstatic heights that the last part of the eco meditation is really important, which is coming down to earth because people get so spacey. I mean, you see these images of you know Rumi or Hafiz or Saint Catherine of Siena or Saint Francis of Assisi, just laying there totally stoned and blissed out, and that's great for your meditation period. But then you've got to drive afterwards. You've got to get the kids to school. You've got to you know, meet the deadline at work. You've got to write your blog post. You've got to balance your checkbook. All of these things mean you have to integrate. And so the last little two minutes of of meditation is come down to earth, look around you, what time of day it is, what's your next appointment, look at the calendar. So you, you have to ground your spirituality. You know, the old Back in the old days, 1100, 1300, people went into the monastery, went into the desert, had these ex- elevated states and they were in their bubble, and it was great. Now, we're bringing those elevated states to the prison. We have people working in prisons and helping prisoners do that. Again, working with traumatized female victims of sexual violence from the Congo Civil War. We're doing this with them. We're doing it with r- those Rwandans. We're doing it this with, with war veterans. We're doing this with people, uh, uh, victims of childhood abuse. So this is very real world stuff. It is not in a monastery stuck away. The, the province, the, the owned curated by the 1%. This is for everybody. And that's why it's able to produce a, a sweeping change in the mental health of the globe. I, lo- I
0: love it. I'm, I'm excited. Now, I'm going to change tack a little bit. Right at the start, you said, I suddenly got this insight that I should write the first book. And I suddenly got this insight. And I was thinking, you 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 made it sound so like it just came to me. But I heard that you put yourself in the path of insight. And you put yourself in the situations. You put yourself where you would be, meet minds. You would meet uh, other people. Tell me about your... Um, insight path, because how do you, how do you get that insight? How, what's your bigger picture for getting insights?
1: Well, I wrote the core of Mind to Matter in, uh, in the, the core chapters. I just got them outlined in, in a seven day period. And um, I, 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 because I, I, I have a big organization, a company that I run, I also have a, this big nonprofit and I'm, I'm doing tons of charitable work and all kinds of other uh, things. I, I my writing time is really co- compressed I have to sit down and I have to produce you know like um 30 50 pages in a day so it's not like I, I I'm an ivory tower academic with a, with tenure and a, and a steady paycheck and I can just you know go go off into, into <laughs> there and write it I so I what I do is so that seven day period that I teach at Esalen Institute and a few other places like that these advanced leading edge um uh Places that 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 where they share these new lineage ideas, and uh, there had been a slide at Esalen, and Esalen was closed. So suddenly I had seven free days, and again I have this deadline for Mind to Matter. So each morning I woke up around 4 a.m. and I meditated for two hours. Now at that point you're totally one with the universe, and I write in Mind to Matter about letting go of your local reality and local mind, and becoming one with non-local mind. That's what all these great mystics do. They become one with non-local mind. These great creatives are one with non-local mind. That's where they get their ideas, according to Albert Einstein, Napoleon Hill, and a lot of other people much smarter than me. And so you're downloading these ideas. So I meditate for about two hours, each of those seven days. Actually, I had another week end on to it, so it was actually nine days, like nine days. So I got out of bed, and it's important to meditate, Debs, immediately on waking. You don't want to do something else, like go uh, check your email or look at
0: thing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, you absolutely cannot do that. Now, You do it after you framed your day in meditation. But when you begin, you have to start the day by really tuning in. So you tune in that way. Now I was doing it for about two hours every morning, and then I wasn't coming back down to earth. I was staying in that elevated state, and as I did that. And I then went online and now again, I have to look, I have to read for a book like Mind to Matter. I have to read and understand and explain about 400 scientific studies. And these are very difficult papers to read and understand. The average lay person would be uh, Mm -hmm. unable to comprehend them. So I have to go and read them. I figure out what's relevant. And I have to explain something written by a Nobel laureate with an IQ of 200 to the average person. How do I do that? So what I would do after my meditation is I would, without coming back to reality, I, in that closed state, I'd sit down, and I'd start to work and intuitively I'd be guided to places and I would find a bit of information I needed in the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the Ukraine, an obscure little journal that no one's ever heard of, and the the nugget of information i needed was there how did i get there i was just totally guided every day into where to go next and how to interpret it how to explain it to people that same year i was i was uh, one i had to write this this chapter in mind to matter about the global parts of mind to matter how our brains are entrained by and how our bodies evolved in the magnetic field of the earth and how those those brain waves great from high waves like, like, like gamma to slow waves like delta and theta, all of those waves are also the same same waves as the earth. These are called the Schumann resonances of the planet. And so I had to write a chapter, a very, very difficult chapter to write about how our internal brain wave states correlate with these planetary fields. And also these fields are shaped by the solar wind moving past the earth it moves past the earth at about 3000 kilometers an hour it's going very very fast it distorts the earth's field and it distorts human function as well to some degree it's a big subject i do nothing about it and then one of those weekends that 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 year i we speak at a conference i sat down on a science panel with three other scientists and it turned out that the guy sitting next to me was the world's leading expert on the schumann residences and field line residences and how they correlate with human brainwaves. Of all the millions of scientists in the world, that conference, I happened to get seated next to the guy who was the world's top authority on that. He explained it to me on the back of a napkin.
0: <laughs> I love it.
1: So the whole book was synchronous. The number, this whole section in Mind to Matter about all the synchronies that resulted in Mind to Matter getting written. I mean, we're, there's a synchrony, after synchrony after synchrony after synchrony that happens. So... <laughs> I'm writing yeah, a book call called... The of
0: yeah, I'm writing a book called Hacking Serendipity about okay. putting yourself in the path of of these opportunities and that you have to be you have to be there you have to so i'm I'm going to have to interview you for that uh (laughs) that's fantastic sorry carry on
1: yeah so you do that so so you meditate you deliberately put yourself there you give yourself uncluttered space uh you can't easily write a book uh or write a significant amount of, of uh material if you give yourself a one hour window for me it takes at least a half day window and i would rather have a full day any interruption. So I'd work, I'd start at work at 6 a.m. after two hours of meditation. I'd work a solid 12 hours usually till 6 p.m. And then I would get out of my chair, I would shower and eat breakfast at 6 p.m. Because the previous 12 hours I had been in such flow I didn't care about going to the bathroom or eating or anything. I mean I was in such intense flow and you're then downloading you were not even you, you're, you're, you know, you're like channeling all these, you know, Niels Bohr and Albert Einstein and, you know, Fibonacci and you're, you're just, you're, you're in touch with a living, beating heart of science and you just feel yourself as this instrument and you're writing inspired ideas and you, you, and you come back the next day or the next week and read the stuff and you say, who wrote this? <laughs> Not a guy with, with my IQ for sure. So we can be one with great creative fields. And again, these field line resonances, and there are these huge pulses of creative energy that influence the planet. And when you align yourself with those, there is love, there's wisdom, there's kindness, there's compassion, there's joy, there's gratitude. That's why it's bliss brain. You feel good, and you also feel one with nature, one with something larger than yourself. And you're writing then from that perspective. You're not writing from your local struggles, your local self, you're writing from your non-local self. Chapter one, chapter seven of Mind to Matter is all about non-local self and joining with non-local self. The book is not mind over matter, it's being a channel for the wisdom of the universe into your local reality. That's why it's mind to matter, it's the great mind, the cosmic mind, into the mo- local mind of your mind and then into the matter around you. So it's aligning yourself with that mind. When you're aligned with that mind, there you don't have to find creativity. There is so much creativity flowing through you, it's hard to find places to put it all. You have so so much gamma in your your brain, it's like you're just, (laughs) you're you're walking around completely inspired all day, every day. It's an extraordinary mental state, and, and, and it's accessible to anyone now. We're finding that people can enter the state, do it enough, and it just starts to permeate your everyday reality
0: fantastic okay i'm gonna start i I promised it was about half an hour and we've just gone over
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i didn't didn't say anything when you said half an hour but i was thinking yeah right
0: (laughs) (laughs) we could talk for hours we could talk there's about a thousand questions i've noted but i'm going to try and keep to our time ish okay so i've got a couple of final questions for you the question that I just have to ask everybody this question and I just love it. it's one of my favorite questions is when was the last time you did something for the first time
1: oh what a wonderful question well the brain thrives on novelty so for example one of the things you do in, in meditation is you do novel things do 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 new things and so you want to deliberately induce novelty the it was this morning my wife came my wife sleeps a little later than I do just doesn't you know, get like four o'clock or five o'clock usually And she comes down, you use my upstairs bedroom, and I've been meditating for a while. And I decided to say something to her. And I usually say, I love you. Uh, You're beautiful. Um, I'm so grateful to be with you. I say things like that, but they, they, you know, we've been married a long time. And so I kind of run out of new things to say. (laughs) So this morning she she came down and uh, I thought of something I'd never said to her before. And just way of expressing appreciation to her. And, I said that to her and she was like startled and surprised. So that, that was the last time. You just seek novelty. You seek, you know, you're making a dish you made many times before, you use new spices in it, and you, you, know, you walk a different route. You walk on the other side of the road, you walk you know, on the road rather than on the pavement. You just, you, you, you're, you're, you have that kind of a brain and the brain thrives on novelty. So you want to be deliberately inducing that in your life every day because it's one of the triggers for flow.
0: Love it! That's fantastic. You're the first person who said today. It's like, <laughs>
1: you wish you would said, oh,
0: about six years ago, last week.
1: <laughs>
0: so, so happy about that. Okay. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you want to tell me?
1: Oh yeah. Well, about <laughs> 27 straight hours of it but we have to leave that till next time
0: <laughs> now look but the thing is the most important thing for me is how do people get in touch with you and how do they find out about the eco meditation the seven steps because i think that for my audience that's like if we can get 12 hours of writing done in a day i mean like wow Oh. So <laughs> you can teach us how to do that, that would be brilliant. How do we get hold of you? How do we get that, that information?
1: Okay, well, the, uh, the best way to do it is by following the links in either Bliss Brain or Mind to Matter. So Mind to Matter, there are seven meditation tracks in this brain, there are eight different meditation tracks, and you want to use those tracks and use them in sequence, use them in the order in the book. And those are in the deepening practices at the end of uh, of the book. And then you can get Mind to Matter at MindMatter.com. You can get This Brain at ThisBrain.com. Uh, the publisher actually gave us a whole bunch of books at cost, so we're giving them away at ThisBrain.com. we pay shipping and handling, but the book itself is free. And then when you do that, you'll also get links. To those eight meditations so just just try the first one start with the first one and you'll feel yourself start to shift
0: brilliant and is there anything else another way you want us to get in touch with you so if people want to contact you what's the best way
1: well i love sharing this with businesses and i'm i'm now doing more and more research on uh, productivity and creativity especially as it relates to business functioning and so we've now begun to collect data on how we can induce flow states. And also I've done a few executive flow sessions. These are really interesting because if you have an executive team together, say for a meeting, either a virtual meeting or a live meeting, and their personality conflicts, and some of them are worried about stuff going on at home, someone has a health problem, they aren't all fully present. And this uh, research by Gallup showed that only about a third of employees, both top and bottom level employees, are really engaged at work. The other two thirds are partially engaged or actively disengaged from work. So that Gallup uh, poll was a real, real shocker that only a third of people are engaged. And so when you have that meeting, you know it's not very creative, people are, are stumbling over each other and having little rivalries and conflicts. But I've now become really interested in the phenomenon of group flow. So it's great to have individual flow, but we found now if I work with an executive team that I can work with those people at the start of the meeting, we'll do a brief induction of flow Now you've got everybody in the room in flow together and big gamma, big creativity, calm mind, calm heart, uh, all those issues go away. And now what that team accomplishes with that five times productivity and 490% problem-solving ability collectively together it is awesome. And I'm studying this now. I'm, I'm, I'm getting research on this. I think we're showing that people's productivity goes through the roof. So that's one other thing I, I'm going to do more on is more nonprofits, more corporations, more organizations where we actually bring teams into flow together. And then that's where they start their work and then they start their project that way and magic happens.
0: Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. That I, I, I'm going to put all your links and uh, in uh at uh, the end of the transcription so people can get in touch with you in those ways mindtomatter.com blissbrain.com are the two key places to get the books and dawson uh, dawsonchurch.com is your yeah, well, main well, you go
1: to if you go to dawsongift.com that's <laughs> another cool site dawsongift.com because uh, we, we didn't even touch on this but doing all the stuff produces in one study I did a doubling of your level of circulating immune antibodies. So your antibodies that chomp up viruses and bacteria double in a week with the right practices. And there's a study in a medical journal that shows that. And there's a meditation that sparks immunity at that DawsonGift.com site. So there's a special form of meditation there targets directly on immunity. And that's that's one thing that's probably worth worth sharing. So that's, that's, that's probably, other than the two book sites, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me is DawsonGift.com.
0: Brilliant, okay. Dawson, I can't tell you how much fun I've had. So thank you so <laughs> much for your time. I'm sure we're gonna have to do this again. And there's going to be so many different, I, I've my, my notebook is full of questions. <laughs> I yeah, to more, ask you. more,
1: more, more questions and answers. And I just uh, visualizing your book, on serendipity, just going easily, flowing. This has been a, a, a hopefully a good lubricant for it, and uh, I just visualise that project being joyful, easy, light, and productive for you.
0: Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your time.
1: Mm, all the best.